0: I am Lonnie. I am death. If you dare defy me, I will call down my fury, exact fresh vengeance, and make your worst fears come true. Okay? Hi, and welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer vlog and podcast. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane rich of Chipperish Media, and we are here today to talk about Never Leave Me, the ninth episode of Season 7. Never Leave Me aired on November 26, 2002, and was written by Drew Goddard with Rebecca Rand Kirshner as Executive Story Editor and Drew Z. Greenberg as Story Editor. This episode was directed by David Solomon. This is the 17th of a total of 19 episodes Solomon will direct for Buffy. We first saw his work way back in Season 2 for What's My Line, Part 1. Buffy has always been fairly serialized, but 7 is the most highly serialized season of all. While some of the episodes in 7 have their own complete identity aside from what the big bad is doing, we've given up monster slash problem of the week to fully focus on nothing more than the big adversary. And it, like so many other things in 7, gives us the sense of being on a speeding train. Here we are, only on episode 9 of the 22 episode season, and we've already escalated the stakes and the evil past this point of any other season. We are leaving nothing on the table, and that's just one more reason why I love season seven. All right, let's get into the weeds. In Never Leave Me, Spike goes into withdrawals from human blood, and Willow has some suggestions of how they might help. Do you want me to kill Anya? Willow bumps into Andrew at the butcher's shop with a bag full of pig's blood and drags him back to the summer's youth hostel and holding pen for interrogation. Look who I found. Oh, this can't be good. Anya and Xander play good cop, bad cop to get information out of Andrew, but before they can get anything out of him, the first gets to Spike and he attacks, charging right through what we all hope is not a load-bearing wall. Ah! Ah! Xander figures out how Spike is being controlled. Trigger. The horse? No, in his head. It's a trigger. Meanwhile, Principal Wood discovers Jonathan's body and calmly buries it out at an oil rig site. Because burying the body in the woods is just too cliched. When Spike fails to kill Andrew, the first sends in the Bringers to kill Andrew and retrieve Spike. They bat a 500. Spike. At home, Buffy recognizes the dead Bringers and realizes who they're facing. I know what we're up against. Meanwhile, in London, Quentin Travers and the Watchers' Council are on full alert, and they decide to ramp up the fight against the first. But it's a short-lived decision. And in the school basement, the bringers haul Spike up above the seal and bleed him, opening the seal and releasing the Kraken. That's my pet name for the really savage-looking vampire. We finally name our seasonal big bad in this episode, and I'm glad we do because I got tired of dancing around that weeks ago. But I have to say, my favorite stuff with the first is kind of behind us. The whole evil for evil's sake, finding the absolute best way to torment everyone, turning the knife in creative and vicious ways, I liked it. It was creepy. And I know a big bad without a solid goal is a little toothless. It's hard to escalate, and the structure of the season requires that we escalate, which we are absolutely doing now. But at this point, the first seems a little less interesting and creatively evil, and a little more just, you know, trying to destroy the world. There's a thing that happens with antagonists all the time. They work in ways that are not efficient, not to the point, not getting them closer to their ultimate goal. The reason this happens is because there are certain things we want to happen to our protagonists. So we have the antagonist dick around for a little while so we can make that happen. Never Leave Me is a perfect example of this phenomenon. The first brought Andrew and Jonathan all the way back from Mexico. It had Andrew kill Jonathan, who was tiny and didn't have enough blood. Then when Andrew said he couldn't kill again, it helped him get a pig. And when that didn't work, it sent him for blood from the butchers. Meanwhile, the first is commanding enough bringers to be able to bust into Buffy's house and kidnap Spike while leaving a few dead ones behind. So, why go to all that trouble with Andrew? And by trouble, I'm including what I've head cannoned as assisting Andrew with robbing a bank or something, because where to get the money for the pig and the blood, let alone that awesome leather duster? There's no good reason for the first not to just send a bringer there with one of the young girls they've been killing all around the globe. Two birds, one bloody stone, right? To put all that effort to becoming Warren, then becoming Jonathan, talking Andrew through everything, and dealing with his failures? Why? Because it's funny. Because the scenes are good and fun to write. Because Andrew is a fun character to work with. But those are writer motivations, not bad guy motivations. And let me tell you, this kind of thing is not easy. Building a good antagonist whose motivations and actions make sense from all angles? It's hard to do. There's so much great stuff we're doing in Buffy this season, and there is great stuff to come from the first. But sometimes, we get a little off track with it. And Never Leave Me is a prime example of that sort of thing. This is a butcher shop, Neo. We don't sell toothpaste. Um, okay. Just the other stuff, then. While Andrew's inclusion in this whole thing doesn't make any sense from an antagonist's point of view, it is so fun that I almost don't care. I mean, how do I love Andrew? Let me count the ways. I love the way he continues to clutch at narrative to define himself and justify his actions. I am bad. I'm bad. I'm evil. But I'm protected by powerful forces. Forces you can't even begin to imagine, little girl. I love how he brings such a childlike vulnerability to the evil he does. It didn't hurt too much. I'm not very good at stabbing. I love how he falls so readily for anything as long as it's fed to him in the form of narrative. Pretty bitchin' right? I'm like Obi-Wan or Patrick Swayze. I love how contagious his narrativitis is. I was worried I overdid it with the whole easy way, hard way thing. No, you were great! And I wasn't sure if I should slap him, but then he made me want to slap him, so I thought, okay, slap him! And I just love him, because he's played by Tom Lank, whose comic timing is sublime. (laughs) Ooh, steak sauce. The only real problem I have with Andrew as a character, I mean, as a human he's pretty detestable, but as a character, is that his apparent gayness is so often turned into a joke. And I hate that. Being gay isn't funny. It's not anything. It's just a state of being. Wherever people land on the Kinsey scale is just where they land. I mean, you can use it as the inspiration for a joke, but it's bland. Like making a joke because someone has blonde hair or hazel eyes. Quite honestly, it's boring. And I know, it was 2002, it was a different time, and God help me as I watch other shows from that era. The gay panic jokes are ubiquitous, and I'm so, so tired of it. But I want better from Buffy. I expect better from Buffy. Andrew is a source for so many funny jokes. Where he lands on the sexual identity spectrum just isn't one of those sources. And when we go to these jokes with him, it's just a waste of time, of which we have precious little left as we round the corner to the home stretch with Buffy. But everything else with Andrew and Tom Lank? Bring it on, baby. Oh, and in case you're wondering... This is the part where I'm not bluffing. We only get a couple of quick scenes with Principal Wood. First, when he's being tough with the punks in his office and Dawn comes in to tell him Buffy's too sick to come to work. And later, when he discovers Jonathan's body and the seal and then buries Jonathan out at an oil rig. We're obviously being set up to see Wood as evil, as an instrument of the first, but we're given no context for it. When we see Andrew and Spike doing the first bidding, there's a dead person there kind of urging him along. Wood? is alone and doesn't seem to be looking at anyone or hearing any voices. Not that we see, anyway. So we're left with this presumption that he's evil, question mark? And then we just leave it sitting there, unresolved. Which is the kind of thing that can happen as a story becomes more serialized and less episodic. But the wood stuff in Never Leave Me just feels awkwardly wedged into a story that isn't concerned with it. We want to keep him present so we have him tread water alongside the actual thing that's happening. But it feels like a false note. Look, I have no quarrel with using D.B. Woodside as much as humanly possible. But if you do, give him something to do. Or you can just smile at me. That's fine, too. How'd you get your soul back? (laughs) Saw a man about a girl. Let's face it, the Buffy-Spike stuff is complicated, but there are lots of reasons to love this relationship. For one, it's the only time that Buffy hasn't diminished herself to focus on the man. Now, I get where it comes from. When Buffy loves, she loves completely. She puts the guy first. She wants to please him, wants him to be happy. And that's all well and good, but it's not the basis of a strong relationship, because making someone happy is an exercise in futility. You can't do it. It can't be done. It's not your job to make someone else happy. She couldn't make Angel happy because Angel can't be happy because then he stops being Angel. Brooding is 90% of who Angel is, so that was doomed from the start. She couldn't make Riley happy because Riley needed to be the stronger one, and she's the slayer, so that's not going to be a thing. Owen, Scott, Parker, those were all doomed from the start because those little boys couldn't even conceive of who she was. They were all tragically out of their depth. But Spike? Spike's different. Spike knows exactly what Buffy is, and he loves her for all that she is. She doesn't try to impress him. She's never polite or concerned with his happiness, and he doesn't need her to be. He doesn't need her to be weak. He loves her for her strength. He's seen her at her best and at her worst, and he loves her anyway. Of course, without a soul, his ability to understand that love was kind of messed up, but it was love. It was based on who she really is. Now, Buffy loving Spike back, that's always been a question. She was attracted to him, definitely, because, well, obviously. She used his love for her to punish herself, and that was a bit dark, but in a strange way. It was also honest. It was where she was, who she was, and she showed that part of herself to him. She couldn't trust him, and trust is essential to love, so what they had wasn't love, but it wasn't nothing, either. The one thing is that she has always respected him. She's never pretended to be anything but herself with him, and she's never diminished herself with him. She's never been polite. And that shows respect. All of that was without the soul. Now that he has one, she sees him completely. She's seen him at his worst, and he's seen her at hers. And that kind of transparency creates a bond. Now in Never Leave Me, she's getting close to Spike because the first has been messing with him, and she wants to know what's going on, but it's more than that. Spike knows her. He knows her in a way that no one else does. She can be honest with him in a way that she can't be honest with anyone else. It may not be love, not yet, but it's the basis of a real relationship that is powerful, and we finally get an acknowledgement of that when she's talking to him in the basement. You faced the monster inside of you and you fought back. You risked everything to be a better man. You. And you can be. You are. You may not see it, but I do. I do. I believe in you, Spike. To see someone at their lowest, at their ugliest, and still know that there's something in them worth saving. I don't know. That's more than love. That's better. Love is transitory. It's whimsical and fleeting. We need another word for what this is. The true knowing of another person, of everything that they are, at their worst and their best, and still seeing something in them worth hanging around for, worth fighting for. That's something else. For those of you who aren't fans of Buffy and Spike, the best way I can think of to explain it is this. It's not pretty, and it's not perfect, and it's not really romantic. But it's real, and it's honest, and it's not fragile. The thing with Angel was star-crossed and romantic, and I can see why that appeals to people. But romance is just a story. But this, the raw honesty and ugliness and respect between Buffy and Spike, that's something else. I don't know what, I don't think we have a word for it yet. But it's real. It's real. That's what Spuffy fans see, and that's what Never Leave Me delivers. All right, that'll do it for today. Remember to visit Chipperish Media at Chipperish.com for more great podcasts, including Big Strong Yes, a podcast about courage, creativity, and the call to adventure, hosted by me and the Southern Fried Scholar herself, Dr. Kelly Jones. I'll see you next time with my thoughts on Season 7, Episode 10, Bring on the Night. Until then, stay pretty. Feel Pretty is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely patron supported. To find out how you can keep us in production, visit patreon.com slash chipperish.